0: on the golf course, and he's an avid golfer, and he just hits that one off into the woods. You learn a lot about his character, and I observed, Shane, and I feel like I need to report to you all this morning uh, about his character, and as I watched him hit one or two or five off into the woods this week, I must say, he handled that more godly than I would have, so... We appreciate him, and, and, uh, and that being said, if you want to continue to show that appreciation for him and Jamie and Emily and Hayden, come by the church starting at 2 this afternoon, and just hang out with them, enjoy some refreshments, hug their neck, and let them know how much you appreciate them. Let's take a minute and stand together and let somebody else know you're glad to see them this morning. All right. So last week, we were in Acts chapter 12, talking about the praying church, and we looked at the different marks, different characteristics of a praying church. And the church, the early church at this period in history, again, very young church, right? We've not even had... Uh, Christianity if you will all that long and and despite facing very very harsh opposition even persecution and, and murder the young church was very 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 successful the gospel was very powerfully going out from Jerusalem beginning to go to the the furthermost reaches of the earth and so from Acts chapter 12, where we were last week moving forward, this, this story in Acts really begins to follow the Apostle Paul much more closely and his missionary, missionary endeavors. And it's around this time where we are this morning, uh, that the church makes a a very dramatic shift, okay? Remember, the very first Christians came from a Jewish background, right? Jesus' first disciples were were Jewish. The early church uh, in in essence was very Jewish in its nature. But then as the church obeyed the Great Commission, and as Acts 1-8 began to be fulfilled as the gospel went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then out to the ends of the earth, Gentiles began to get saved now Gentile is simply a a non-Jewish person so that that's us people like us began to be saved our ancestors began to receive the gospel and people with little to sometimes even no understanding of Judaism began to say yes to Jesus and so the church became very diverse very quickly Lots of folks from different walks of life. And the church kind of come to this, this crossroads where they had to just kind of figure out, okay, we've got all these non-Jewish men and women coming to Christ. What really is a Christian? What does a Christian have to do in order to be a Christian? What rules should they follow? And again, remember, uh, these folks from the Jewish background, a lot of them, they loved rules, Right? They loved following this, this given set of rules, this standard that they could try to live up to. And so now we've got these folks that have no idea about anything like that. They just want Jesus. And so some folks in the church began to say, well, that Jesus is great, but you also have to follow all these little rules that we've been following all of our lives. And essentially they began to preach a false gospel. that said, you gotta have Jesus plus all this other stuff. And so thankfully, the church comes together and you can read in the reading plan about how the, they had their very first council, basically their first business meeting the church ever had. And it was to decide, what do we do with these, these new Christians that have no idea about the Old Testament, about the, the law and, and all this stuff? And so they basically, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, agreed as a church that salvation comes through Christ alone. There's no other way to be saved. It's not Jesus plus all this other stuff. And so there was no need for new believers to take all of these laws and rules and regulations upon themselves in order to be a Christian. And what we see from that point forward, the church just explodes. I mean, it just takes off radically. And Paul and some of the others at this point, where we are this morning, they're now going back and they're they're revisiting some of the other churches that they've helped plant and they're visiting some of the disciples that they've been making. And so far in Acts, just to give you a reminder, because we're spending a lot of time here, we've started talking about the perfect church. In Acts chapter 2, last week we talked about the praying church. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 talking about the prospering church. And how the church was doing so good. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at the first five verses again. And the Bible says this. It says, Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. And the brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people To observe. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. That's kind of a recurring theme throughout the book of Acts. Now, last week we left off, if you remember talking about how the praying church is also a successful church. The praying church gets things done and accomplishes things for the Lord and sees the Holy Spirit move. And we talked briefly about what true success in the church is supposed to look like. And, and, And true success is not always about filling seats, even though that's great. It's not always about expanding budgets, even though that's great. But success in the church is better understood as the kingdom impact that that church is having locally and around the world. World. Now we see very, we see the early church um, clearly being committed kingdom work. They had a a, a kingdom mindset. There's so many examples of this throughout the book of Acts where where the church is always on the move. The church is always taking the gospel to the next group of people that need to learn about Jesus. They help other local churches in other areas in their time of need. It wasn't always just about their particular church in their area. And so from where we are in Acts chapter 16, I, I think we can boil a lot of that success down to four characteristics that would be really good for the modern church to replicate honestly, it'd be really good for FBC to, to practice. And the first one is that the prospering church has a missionary mentality or a missionary mindset, and, and that, I think that's captured even in, in the first phrase of Acts chapter 16 when it says, Paul just went, no questions asked, he went and he went to Derby and to Lystron. Paul, like many of the others in the early church, were. Wholeheartedly committed to going wherever it was God told them to go. Now they would go and sometimes they would spend some time in a certain place teaching uh, about Jesus, teaching out of the Word, teaching people how to be a Christian, making disciples, uh, and they would they would stay there as long as the Lord allowed them. And often it was it was a good experience. But when the Holy Spirit said, Okay, son, it's time to go somewhere else, then they just got up and went. No questions asked. And one example of that is in the church in Antioch we mentioned last week where we gained the name Christians, were first called Christians in Antioch. And that church, not only did Paul and Barnabas understand the need to go, but the church understood their need to send them. And so not only do you have uh, people that are willing to go and follow the Lord as missionaries, but you have churches that are willing to come around them and pray over them and lay hands on them and send them out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so missionary and church alike throughout the book of Acts both realize this thing is so much bigger than just them. It's so much bigger than just our church, even though local church work is is so important. You know, our our deacon family ministry program is so important, and the Jerusalem team projects are, are so important. But that's not the end of it. We literally have to continue going here, there, and everywhere as Pastor Louis Giglio says on Wednesday nights. So then we have to realize where it was that Paul was going this time. It says Derby and Lystra. He was going back to the place where they nearly stoned him to death. It was in Lystra earlier in Acts that they dragged Paul out of the city and he just got stoned almost to death. Get your minds out together. I'm not talking about that kind of stone. They literally put, hit him with rocks. It almost killed the man. And he gets up and he goes back to this place again. And what I'm trying to say is Paul understood the importance of the gospel going forth to the people that need it. And he had such a strong missionary mentality that, that his, his agenda for his life became less important. Paul was a successful man in religious circles. He said, you know what? That don't matter. That agenda became less important. His body was disregarded. Paul would say, I beat my body for the sake of the gospel. His own life became second to the mission of the gospel going forth. Now, our church, First Baptist Church in Barberville, has a very strong missionary history. I don't know if you realize that or not, but for throughout much of our church's history, we've been involved in, in planting other churches, especially around this region, Uh, We've been involved in supporting missions here and abroad uh, for a very long time. And and we even have put missionaries, literally our church here in Barber has put missionaries on the international mission field as IMB missionaries and, and other mission endeavors. But here's the thing. The church has to constantly fight against our natural tendency to simply become complacent. Because our natural tendency is, is for us to lose our missional mindset. You see, when we're not out here on the mission field or we're not on a mission trip somewhere or, or involved in some kind of local mission project, it's easy for us, church, to just drift into consumer Christianity where we're, just, we're totally fine and, and comfortable just coming to church and coming to Sunday school and leading a small group and, and getting up here and leading worship. But what we got to realize is our entire life is a mission field. The greatest mission field that God will ever put you on is tomorrow morning when you get up out of the bed and go about your normal life. There are literally lost people all around us. If I said, if I just ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to because I know the answer. If I said, how many people have a lost person in your family? Every hand would go up. If I said, how many people have a lost friend in your circle of influence? Every hand would go up. And so uh, even in our churches, there are lost people. There's probably lost, statistically speaking, someone lost here this morning. And what missionary do you think God has sent to take the gospel to those people? You and me. And so we have to consistently remember we're on mission. And let me back this up with some data. Do you realize that the United States is the third largest mission field in the world today? That statistically speaking, there are more lost people, unbelievers in the United States than any other country on planet Earth than India and China. We got to be on mission. Not only do we need to continue to give to these endeavors through the church, not only do we need to send people abroad, but every church member in First Baptist Barberville needs to consider yourself a missionary. Second thing, for the prospering church is dedicated to discipleship. When you read through the book of Acts, you realize that Paul and even some of these other fellows, they were always traveling with someone. They're always teaming together and investing in other people. And at this point in the narrative, Paul is, is traveling with this man by the name of Silas. And they go and they meet this young believer named Timothy. And Paul wants to take Timothy in and really just kind of begin to disciple him and invest in him and pour into him. And we see this again all throughout the early church. They were committed to not only making converts and, and winning souls to Jesus, but committed to making Disciples Committed to making people who were sold out for Jesus, who in turn would go and make other disciples. In that regard, they got the Great Commission right. They understood it's not just about baptism. And I love, if you ever notice, I love baptizing people. One of the greatest things in the world to do. But if that's all we do, then we've missed the mark because the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. Paul would disciple Timothy who in turn would disciple other people and actually lead several other New Testament churches. And this discipling relationship, if you will, I think it's one that's missing in most of our modern churches. It's, it's more than friendship. And I know a lot of us have other Christian friends and, and friends in the church, but it's deeper than that. It's even deeper than, than pastor and church member or Sunday school teacher and class member. It's a lot more than that. Paul would go on to call Timothy when he got older and he began to write letters to Timothy. You know what he called him? He said, To my son in the faith. It's that deep of a relationship when you're investing into someone's life as a Christian. And it truly is an investment. And I think apart from a one-on-one situation like this, the closest thing that we have in our church, you've probably heard about this, is these things we call D-groups. And you're going to hear more about this. Just bear with me because it's a slow rollout of this this, uh, discipling program. But D-groups are these small groups, three to five men or three to five women who meet together over the course of a year not just to do a Bible study, not just to hang out in fellowship, but to go through the Word of God together over the course of a year. And I tell you what, and I've done the research. I've got a doctoral thesis that backs what I'm about to say up. I've seen people grow more and grow faster through a D group than any other method in the church today, and I think this is why. These groups force us through these accountable relationships to get into God's Word until God's Word gets into us. And the Word will change you, folks. The Word will make you grow more like Jesus. And these groups, reflect they're biblical in the fact that they reflect the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, those three or four men that Jesus invested just a little bit more into and spent a little more time into with. So if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission... We as a church have to take discipleship very seriously. Now, I'm all about evangelism, and I'm all about seeing new people come to Christ. And again, I wish I could baptize somebody every day. I wish I could get up and say, All right, who are we baptizing today? But we have to make disciples. We have to invest in people who are going to later invest in other people who then will invest in other people. So we have these multiple generations of Christians pouring into other Christians, and that's what the Great Commission is supposed to look like. And I think that's how the church has survived these past 2,000 years of ups and downs and oppositions and persecutions and everything else. So every person here this morning... Every person here needs a Paul and a Timothy relationship in your life. No matter how mature you are or immature you are, you need to be a Paul to somebody and you need to be a Timothy to somebody. You need someone always pouring into you and and you need to always pour into somebody else. Thirdly, the prospering church, well, the church just loves people. I really couldn't think of a better way to say this. And I tried to come up with an alliteration, uh, seeker-sensitive or people-pleasers, and that just don't cut it, man. The church has to love people. The truly successful and prospering church takes Jesus' words to not only love God, but love your neighbor as yourself very seriously. And I feel like we do a pretty good job at that here. But it's not just loving people and the fact that, hey, I love them, they're they're great, whatever. But it's loving people that may be even different than us. Loving people that are hard to love. Maybe even considering, as the New Testament says, considering those people more important than ourselves. I don't know about you, but that's tough to practice sometimes. And then loving people enough not to just say, I love you, you know, God made you so special, bless your heart, and I love you just the way you are, but not just loving them that much, but loving them enough to say, but let me help you be more like Jesus. I love you, but I want to help you get somewhere better. So we see this happening in the early church. At this point, it's pretty interesting. So for a while, the Jewish believers, they weren't so sure about these Gentile folks. They weren't so sure about our ancestors, you know. Uh, they, they weren't so sure they could even be saved. And they really, when they got saved, they really weren't so sure about having them in the church, just to be honest with you. But they quickly realized that God had opened the gospel up, not just to them, but to the entire world. And that the kingdom of God, which they thought at one point was just about this nation of Israel, it was much larger than they originally anticipated. And they began to understand that truly, whosoever would believe might be saved. And so we see this. This here with this guy named Timothy. Timothy is, is a, a fascinating character because Timothy's the perfect outcast. He's half Jew. He's half Greek. Nobody likes Timothy wherever he goes. But Jesus saved him. Somewhere along the line, Timothy heard the gospel, whether it was from Paul or someone else on one of these trips or somebody brought it to his home. And Paul comes along and he sees Timothy and he wants to to love and and disciple this outcast, this this half-breed person that that just doesn't fit in anywhere. And and here's how much Timothy, in turn, loved people because the church rallied around him, they accepted him, and they would eventually respect him as a leader and as a teacher. And, And then Timothy, in turn, he allows Paul to perform, I'll just say, this medical procedure on him. And we read this in Acts chapter 16, like, what in the world's going on here? Paul talks about this in Galatians, and it just doesn't seem to jive. Why is he putting this on Timothy? Well, I think Paul realized that if Timothy was going to minister to all kinds of different people, he understood the Jews would not accept this uncircumcised Greek just wasn't going to happen. But the Jews would accept a circumcised, the Greeks would accept a circumcised Jew. That's a little, wrap your mind around that. And so to be all things to all people, he says, Timothy, you've got to do this in order to get the gospel to as many people as you possibly can in your short life. And Timothy says, all right, let's do it. And so for the sake of the gospel, Timothy goes through with this. And then the church has to wrestle with receiving people like Timothy that just don't fit the mold that they've been so used to for all these years. And in all transparency, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be really honest with you this morning. And it's going to hurt just a little bit. But in all transparency, our church, First Baptist Church in Barberville has had a reputation in our community for a very long time Of being the snooty church. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you I get out and I talk to people in our community. And to this day people still think this is the uppity church in town. That you can only go to if you make enough money and have enough nice clothes. I heard it just last week. So it's my prayer that we're overcoming a lot of that. And I believe that we are, church. I believe that we have. And it's my prayer, though, that our community, because these stigmas are so hard to overcome when they're so ingrained. But with the things that we're doing and loving on people, I think it's making a difference. And it's my prayer as your pastor that, that our community sees that First Baptist Church loves Barberville. And that we love people regardless of who comes in these doors they're going to feel the love in this place the love of God that just overflows to them regardless of the clothes they have on or what walk of life they come from or what background they come from they just feel welcome and safe because we love them right? okay Whew. I was worried for just a second but here's where it gets tough And I'm guilty of this, church. Again, I'm being very transparent. I want to ask you, do do you love people? Or do you kind of struggle with loving some people? Because notice what Jesus, he didn't really put a lot of qualifiers on this, did he? He didn't say, well, you go and you love this type of person or this person that's not involved in this type of sin or this person that comes from this type of background or this type of family or this part of the county. No, he said you love your neighbor as yourself. Period. And so if you're struggling with that, if, if you're struggling with you know, truly loving certain people, then maybe this morning we need to kind of revisit that and do a gut check. Lastly and most importantly... Hold on a minute. We We ain't done with that one yet. I want to make sure something's very clear. It's not just about loving people and accepting them for who they are, right? I believe that anybody, regardless of their skin color, their religious background, whatever they've done or are involved in, I, believe, I personally, this is your pastor speaking, me, I believe that any of those people can be saved. Do you believe that? Okay. We're on the same page there. It's our job to love them enough to not only accept them, but to say, here's Jesus. Alright. Lastly and most importantly, this is where we go into this. The Prospering Church is a Christ-centered church. It's all about Jesus, Right? And so as these folks traveled, as Paul traveled and Barnabas traveled and Silas and even Timothy and all these folks, they delivered these letters to these Gentile churches uh, that basically said, congratulations, you're a Christian. You don't have to take on all these Mosaic laws upon yourself. And notice what the Bible says. They were strengthened and very encouraged, right? That they didn't have to go through with some of this stuff. They realized that Jesus alone... That faith in Jesus alone was sufficient for their salvation. And yeah, they needed to be moral. Yeah, they needed to obey the the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He he convicted them about certain things. But they understood, the the church understood, these folks in this region or this place or in Africa or Asia or Europe, they may not dress the way we dress or talk the way we talk, but they may not uh, follow some of these traditions that we have followed for so long as part of our culture. But guess what? Jesus saved. And that's good enough. And so everywhere they went, these missionaries, these apostles even, they preached Christ. They preached Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected in everything that they did. And then they taught these new Christians... Just as Jesus said, to observe everything that Christ commanded them. And I believe that as Christ was lifted up in the early church, He drew men and women and children to Himself from every walk of life, from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Jesus drew in Jews and Greeks and Africans and Asians, people who were pagan, people who were nothing or didn't know what they were. They began to come to Christ and they found the grace and the salvation that they'd all been longing for in Jesus. Now all these years later if nothing else is said about First Baptist Church, and there's a lot said about First Baptist Church but if nothing else is said about First Baptist Church let it be said of us that we focused on Jesus. That we preached and proclaimed Jesus and everything that we did. That we we came in here and we gathered together. That we praised and lifted high the name of Jesus. And if we didn't tell anybody anything else, we sure told them about Jesus. Amen. Every ministry, every program, every crazy idea that we come up with has to be Christ-centered. If we go out and we build orphanages and we feed the hungry and we clothe the naked, but we don't tell people about Jesus, listen, we are no better or no different than the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or some of these. Our job is to tell people, tell the world about Jesus. And so, that requires a very important piece is not just about our church because the church is a body. If our church is going to be Christ-centered, it means every person in this church has to live a Christ-centered life. That your agenda, your will, your family, your career, your ambitions have to be centered and focused around the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if that's not the case, you need to do what we do to these old cars. You need to have just a little realignment done, right? Right? need to refocus your life and where you're at on Jesus. He gave it all for you. It's not going to hurt you to give a little for him. And I know how easy it is. Guys, I got two kids myself. I know how busy life can get with school and with work and with sports. Lord, help us with these sports. And It is so easy to get caught up in the daily grind that you begin to lose that missionary mentality, you began to lose sight of of Christ being the centerpiece of your life and your family, and and you just get caught up in the busyness, right? Well, maybe today it's time to push the pause button and just have a little reset in your life and say, I'm going to focus tomorrow, this week, this month, on Jesus. Just stand together as we close in prayer? Father, Lord, first of all, I want to just thank you for our church this morning. God, this is an amazing church. This is an incredible church family. God, we have done so much kingdom work over the decades, over the centuries. God, I know every church has its issues because as Pastor Shane preached about, there's, there's not a perfect church because there's no perfect people. Lord, I feel like we do a pretty good job. But it's my honest prayer, Lord, that we don't take that for granted. Lord, that we don't grow complacent. That we don't settle into to just being comfortable here. and We don't lose sight of the mission that's that's before us. God, not only the Great Commission, God, but the mission that you've, you've placed on our lives. Help us, Lord, to realize that we are literally surrounded every day by lost people. Lord, help us to understand that there are new Christians. There's new Christians here this morning that need to be discipled. God, I pray that you'd burden our hearts for them. That we wouldn't just leave them out there flounder Lord it's my prayer that moms and dads, fathers and mothers today Lord just refocus their lives around Christ and God for some of us it may be some simple tweaks that we need to be more dedicated to personal Bible study or prayer time God, for some, it may mean a career change. God, for some, it may mean that we need to let some things go in our lives that keep us from the Lord. God, whatever that looks like for folks this morning, I pray that they'd come to a clear understanding of what they need to do as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts this morning. God, we turn it all over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing a song of invitation this morning. Of course, the altar is open if you just need to come and pray or if there's something you'd like us to pray with you about or a decision that you need to make, why don't you come as we sing. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the court square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at First underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.